So this morning, uh, I am going to, by the help of the Lord, teach a, a lesson that I was not intending on teaching. I knew that I was supposed to teach Sunday school today, and then next Sunday, I'm preaching in the 1115 service, and God had already given me something for a service. I thought it was for this service, and I was planning on teaching that all the way up until this past Wednesday night, and it was just like God said, nope, nope, that's going to be for next Sunday, and all he gave me was the title for this morning, which is, He's Still Working on Me. I'm not going to sing it. If I, if I, had, if I had mom here to, to play the piano, I'd try, but I don't remember the tune well enough. But there is a recording of that song of me singing it, and I was about this tall, and, and it's on a cassette somewhere at mom and dad's house. And I was a little bitty thing, and at the time I had a whole lot of sinus problems and stuff. And, but they, but I wanted I wanted them to record me. I just had it in my head. I wanted to be on tape, you know, that because that was what it was back then. Was it was a cassette tape? wasn't even a CD back then. And I wanted to be on tape, so they recorded me, and I was having all the sinus drainage and everything else. So the recording has me going. He's still working on me to make, you know, and, and trying to get through the song. and So mom keeps threatening she's going to one day find it and put it on something where they can let everybody hear it. And I'm just praying against that in the name of Jesus. But the song itself is a great song. And if you've never heard it, it's an older song. The chorus says, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. There really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part. But I'll be better just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hand. For he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. So how loving and patient he must be, because he's still working on me. In the mirror of his word, reflections that I see make me wonder why he never gave up on me but he loves me as I am and helps me when I pray remember he's the potter I'm the clay and he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be it took him just a week to make the moon and the stars the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars, how loving and patient he must be, because he's still working on me. And, that, and that's the whole song. And I sang that as a little bitty child who, you know, kids are going to grow up, they're going to change, 
God's working on them. God's going to do things in them. But that song still applies just as much at 42 as it did at 6 or whenever it was. It applies to all of us no matter what our age is. It really is such a true song because the Lord is never, ever finished with us. And we say that a lot in Christendom, you know, that God's still working on us, God's not done with us yet. And it's well said because it is true that God never stops working, but sometimes we forget that that applies inwardly to us and not just here, but also at home and also at work. We see sometimes what God's doing in something else, something that maybe they've taught a Bible study and they've brought somebody to church or maybe God's called them to the mission field and they're going to, to do a work for the Lord or they're going to go plant a church or, or maybe it's somebody that, that they have just really taken up the torch of intercessory prayer and they can pray like nobody's business and maybe we, we long for or wistfully think about what if God did something like that in me however God doesn't make armies of little toy soldiers to all line up in a row and look exactly alike and all march exactly the same. We're individual creations. And he, he's lovingly fashion, fashioning us with his hand, but we're different. And the word of the Lord says in Jeremiah 1 and 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew before thou camest forth from the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And he was talking to Jeremiah, but it applies to all of us. Before any of us were born, God knew who we were, who we were going to be, what we were going to be, and he already had a plan from the first breath that we took to the last breath that we took to get us from here to glory and every step along the way he had a plan for the amazing part is every decision that we could possibly make he already had a plan for and an answer for even the wrong ones he knew what it would take if we made this wrong decision what it would take to get us back to where we needed to be and he kept putting those possibilities in front of us every single day along the way. Psalm chapter 138 and verse 8 says, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. He formed mankind with his own hand. Everything else he spoke into existence, but mankind he formed took his hands and made us from the dust of the earth. We are, our image is touched by the hand of God. And even though we may not physically see the finger of God coming out of the sky and punching us in the nose to flatten out our nose or squish our head together or whatever, it el whatever else it is, God is still working on us spiritually and inwardly. And David said, God is going to perfect the process of making perfect. Not that the Lord will make everything in me perfect, but he will go through the process of perfecting in me that which concerns him. 
Colossians 1 and 29, Paul said, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And he wasn't just talking about the, the working of ministering. He was also talking about the working of, God, I got a thorn in the flesh. I need you to deal with it. No, my grace is sufficient. I'm not taking it away from you. You need some work, and I'm going to use this to work on you. And so while Paul was doing all of the things that we know Paul for, God was still working inwardly on him. And he was wanting the Colossians to know the work of God is not just what he's doing out there, but it's also what he's doing in here. He's still working on me. And many other examples that we could go through from the Bible to illustrate that God has a personal interest in each one of our development, not just his church as a whole, but God has an interest in Raymond Roberts and knows Raymond Roberts and what he wants to happen with his life. He knows me. He knows Chris. He knows all of us down to the smallest detail. And now we talk a lot about God working on us whenever we are in a state of sin or failure or trouble. And we focus on God moving us from brokenness to healing and getting us back on our feet and so forth. And, and that's all very well and good. It's very needed. But today, I want, I want to focus our focus on a different viewpoint of God working on us and in us. I'm going to start by talking about myself instead of any of you. I'll use myself as an example. And then we're going to look at some biblical examples. And then finally, we're going to talk about you. Not you collectively as a group, but you as an individual. The person that looks back at you in the mirror every morning. That you is where we'll end up. But we'll start with me. My name is Daniel Keith Maxwell. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm 42 years old. I'm the husband of Michael Maxwell. I'm the father of Ella and Joel Maxwell. I'm currently the assistant pastor of the Bentley United Pentecostal Church and the elected assessor of Grant Parish. And I could go on and on giving you details and bullet points about me right now. But there was a time in my life when none of these things were true. Whenever I was just being formed, my parents hadn't yet picked out a name. I didn't have a name yet. They knew my mom was pregnant, but they didn't have a name yet. And whenever they got down to picking names at that point in time, they didn't go and have a sonogram and, and know whether it was a boy or a girl. They just had to pick out a boy name and a girl name. And whichever one it was, then the name could apply. And in fact, the, the doctor came out and told my dad, well, you got your pick, what you want? And, and my dad thought, twins, oh no. <laughs> but they had the name Daniel Keith Maxwell picked out if it was a boy, and that was for Danny Ivy and Keith Delaney, who were my dad's two best friends, and so that's who I, I'm named after. Don't hold that against either of them. And then if I was a girl, my name was going to be Kevy Dion. I have no idea where that name came from. I just know that's what the name was if I was going to be a girl. And also, because I am man and I am human 
and I fulfilled the word of the Lord, man is only a few days and full of trouble. And I was. And so there were most definitely times in my life when I was not a follower of Jesus Christ. From very small, whenever I would get into trouble, until now, whenever I constantly have to repent every day because I am not perfect. I've not always been 42 years old. My nose has been the same size just about my whole life. As a baby, I just I was a nose with hands and feet, and I just had to grow into it. But other than that, I, I aged, so I've not always been this age. I've only been married to Michael for 17 years. I've only been the father of my children for as long as they've been alive. I've held several positions here at the church. I've had several other positions where I work now and have worked in a few other places. And the point is, everything that I am right now is only now and hasn't always been, even my name. So then, why would I think that my relationship with God and what He is working in me should always look the same day to day, month to month, year to year, if the rest of me is changing? Intellectually, we know that everything changes. That's about the only constant in the world. Everything changes. And they say, you know, the only constants are death and taxes. But people die at different times and taxes go up and down. So even that is not exactly keyed into an exact unchanging thing. The only constant really is that nothing is constant and that everything in this world changes while he remains the same. So then my relationship with God should not be a static thing that is always the same. Spiritually, even whenever we look for a deeper walk or we go to the next level in God, somehow we tend to expect the outcome to be different but the inputs that we put into it to be exactly the same as it was previously. And we think God's going to change us, but we are not necessarily going to change what we do on a daily basis. We'll just have some deeper revelation. We'll have some unique gifting, but we're still going to act and think and do exactly the same thing. And that's not the case. Now just tuck that piece away in your brain because we'll circle back to it in a little bit. So I'm going to go through some personal development details just of me. I'm not going to include Sister Michael in this because even though we are one flesh, I want you to, to focus on this is how I singularly developed spiritually. And I want you to think about how you have as well. So as a young man, I had very few solid aspirations spiritually. Never gave a thought to not going to church, because if I didn't, my dad would probably kill me. So I just figured I would always go to church. But I also never gave much thought to doing something in church or at church. Other than this, I knew for absolute certain I was not going to be a preacher and I was not going to be a politician. Those were the only two things I knew for certain. Well, but my Paul Maxwell was a preacher 
And my dad was a preacher, and I had seen enough family vacations that got upended because somebody passed away or somebody went into the hospital, and we had to be there for those families. That was, that was important, but as a child, that was not important to me. And so I thought, I am not doing that job. Mm-mm. Nope, I noped out of that real quick from a very young age. And as I grew older and I became a teenager, that sentiment still stayed with me. However, I did really enjoy worship and I enjoyed praying in the altar. And so I thought whenever I began to think about what is God going to do with me in my life, I thought maybe I'll be an altar worker because I really enjoyed praying with people while they were praying. And, and I, I just, I loved doing that, and I still do to this day. And I thought, maybe that's where God is going to put me. I was comfortable serving there, and it just fit at the time. And that's what I, I poured myself into. In my late teens, still without any definitive direction on what God was going to do with me, I was voluntold by Brother David Sanders to be a helper in the junior high Sunday school class. Because at the time, we, we only had one lady, Sister Self, was the only one in there. And he said she needs a, a young man in there. Though Those young boys, they need a male presence in the classroom. I need you to go and be her assistant. Just make copies for her, help her with snack, do whatever. But also, if one of those little, little knuckleheads needs somebody to, to shape them up and, and get their attention you get their attention. Don't make her always be have to be the bad guy. That's part of what you're in there for. Well, I, I thought, okay, I can do that. I can make copies, and I can, I can help keep the kids in line, and, and did that for a little while. But then something really terrible happened. The selfs moved away. And then I thought, oh, no. Oh, no. Thankfully, Brother, Brother David got Brother James Roberts to come in and take the class. But Brother James had a job at Petron, and that job required him a lot to be out on a weekend. And whenever he was out on a weekend, that left one teacher in the classroom. And I had to learn real quick how to teach a Sunday school lesson. Thankfully, there was a book, and it gave you most everything to say. And so my, my very few first Sunday school lessons were and the Lord said to them and you know so the kids were but because I'm part Maxwell and part Briggs and part Gibson and all of those families like to talk then I found out if I would read the lesson and study the lesson and then just talk I could actually get the kids to engage and actually found I was having fun and so brother James and I were the teachers of the junior high Sunday school class for a while until it got to the point where his job was going to keep him away a lot and then I became the main teacher but by that point I was teaching enough lessons that I, I was okay with it still not going to be a preacher but I was okay being a Sunday school teacher that that was that was fine but through that process then there were some Wednesday nights. Usually if Brother James was out, Sister Lana would teach on Wednesday nights because they were the youth pastors at the time. But there were some times whenever she was 
knew she was going to have a really rough week. They had a lot of stuff going on at work, and she would ask me, could you teach on Wednesday night? And I thought, sure. You know, I'll, I'll pull a lesson from last year because we kept all of our books, a lesson that I really enjoyed, and I would teach that on a Wednesday night just the same way. I would still try to engage with them and talk with them. And so I began to be a fill-in teacher on youth services on Wednesday nights. And as time rocked on, I got more and more comfortable with that. And, and I was able to, to actually, you know, I would, I would get this thought while I was reading my Bible. And I'd, I'd write it down. It's like, oh, that, that's pretty cool. I've never. And then I would teach on that thing that God showed me in his word. Still not going to be a preacher. Still not. And Brother James came to me one day and he said, look, I am getting older. And at some point, I'm going to have to retire as the youth pastor. And I have been praying and I just feel like you are who God has to follow me in, in youth ministry. Oh, that was, that, that was intimidating and that was rough. But I prayed about it and I felt a peace about it. So I, I consented. With, and, and began to be the assistant youth pastor with the understanding that one day, whenever he retired, I would be the youth pastor. And he began to train me, and I still wasn't going to be a preacher. But, but I was okay being a youth pastor, but I, but I wasn't going to be a preacher. And whenever Sister Michael and I got, got married and we were appointed the youth pastors, God finally broke through my no and changed it into a maybe. And finally, yielding to the moving of the working of God, I finally submitted to my call to the ministry. And then eventually I became too old to be youth pastor. And we had to hand off the torch to Brother Mason and Sister Kimberly Briggs. And now I'm the assistant pastor here. And along the way, I've worked with the youth praise team. I played an instrument. I joined the choir. I helped and eventually led the adult praise and worship team and a whole host of other jobs and projects and events and things that needed doing at the time. Whenever we remodeled this auditorium years and years ago, I was the only one that was up here every day that was small enough to crawl under the platform. So before the steps existed, while we were still running all the cables that are the floor plugs for these black things down here. I ran most of those cables because I was the only one that could fit under there and wiggle through all of the joists on the floor. So, you know, I, I was the cable puller, which helped me later in life whenever I got my first really good paying job in, in Ellick after high school and I was working at Icon Technology. I pulled network cable for computer systems because already knew how to do that and fit through tight spaces and they said we need somebody small that can crawl up in between all I'll do it I already had I already had experience the whole point of all of that is I am not now the same as I once was God has used me in many different capacities throughout my life and he's not done with me yet, which means I have to be looking with expectation towards what is next. Not that I am wanting to go and do something else, 
but I've also got to make sure that I am not so comfortable where I am that I miss the prompting of the Holy Ghost whenever God begins to move me in another direction. And there was never any point in time that the cloud split and a light shone down and God said, now you will do this. It was always just, it was as natural as breathing, taking the next step in whatever it was that God was doing in me was as natural as breathing. It just felt right at the time because I was following after God and saying, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me, whatever you want me to do, except for preach. And he even got through that somehow, some way, because he's God. But let's look at some biblical examples really quickly. We have David. We're introduced to him as a shepherd boy. That, that job is stinky, and it's nasty, and it's lonely. But in the midst of that secular employment, there was nothing spiritual for him about shepherding his father's sheep. But in the midst of what he was doing that he did not like, and he was doing that as his day-to-day -day job, he found time to praise God and he began to write songs, which we now have some of those as the Psalms in the Bible. And he began to develop a nature of worship while he was doing this job that he didn't like and that was demeaning. And next, he got so good at playing the harp for an audience of sheep because, you know, they didn't talk back and they didn't ever tell him he, they didn't like that song. They just listened. And he got pretty good because he did it every day. And he got so good that whenever they were looking for somebody to play for the king, to calm him down whenever he would go into a fit of rage, somebody mentioned David. And he went from being a shepherd to occasionally going to the palace and playing for the king to calm down the king whenever the king was in one of his tantrums. And then he becomes the king. And so he had a journey. The prophet Elisha started out as a servant to the prophet Elijah. That's all he was. He was a servant. He was a helper. He carried his stuff. He got the room ready for him. He made sure he was taken care of. Nothing that he did was necessarily spiritual in nature. He just had a job to do for the man of God. And then whenever Elijah's time was over, Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Perhaps not even really understanding that if you get that, that means you're now the guy. And whenever Elijah went away and Elisha caught his mantle and God anointed him as the next prophet of Israel. He went from being a servant to being the prophet. Paul was first named Saul and he was a persecutor of Christians. And then after his conversion, he became an apostle, an evangelist, and a church planner. And then an author because he wrote two-thirds of what we have as the New Testament. Those are his letters to the churches. And somebody put on Facebook, you know, uh, a few days ago that if Paul could see the American church today, we'd be getting a letter. You know, it's like, that's very true. Gideon. Gideon went from being a coward hiding behind a building threshing wheat in secret because he was afraid somebody was going to jump out and say boo to being the general commanding the armies of the nation of Israel 
which went from multiple tens of thousands down to 300 and their weaponry ended up being a horn and a candle inside of a pot that was their weaponry and that's what God used to deliver the entire nation of Israel and Gideon went from coward to faithful servant of the Lord Abraham was a pagan whenever God first spoke to him he wasn't even following after God but he was so dedicated in the belief that he had that God said I can use you if you will submit to me and he went from being a pagan to a wanderer because God told him pick up take all your stuff and head and I'm gonna tell you where to go but I'm not gonna tell you where you're going I'm just gonna tell you where to go and you follow where I tell you and he did and then he became an intercessor praying for God to save Lot and his family whenever they were in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he became a screw-up because he tried to take the promises of God into his own hands and messed that all up. And then he became the father of many nations. And we could go on and on and on. But the stories in the Bible that we have are stories of progress that God worked on all of these people and God didn't find them one way and keep them just that way as he used them. He changed them over time. So what about you and me? The word that God would say to all of us today is what about you? Think back to when you were little, you were small, you were a child. And the concept of God that you had back then as opposed to now, how have you grown? What more could you have done or what more could you do now? The great thing is he's not done with any of us yet. And so if there's anything that you missed along the way, that's okay. He can still do it now. However, the work that God does can only proceed so far as we let it. We are the determining factor as to whether or not we stagnate. God understand that God is always working on us however we're not always in the mood to change have you ever tried to move an animal that didn't want to be moved a cat or a dog or a cow have you ever tried to move a person that didn't want to be moved physically or emotionally have you ever tried to argue with somebody that had a viewpoint and they weren't changing their mind did you get frustrated did you get aggravated how do you think God feels whenever he's trying to move us and we won't move either out of obstinance or because we're not listening have you ever tried to to tell somebody that they're in your way and they're not listening and I, and I don't just mean whenever you're in your vehicle and they're in theirs but actually speaking to somebody that should hear you but they don't hear you it, it's frustrating and we've been going through and are still are walking through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And there's a whole lot in there that we've been dealing with. And there's been a lot of stepping of our toe on our toes going on. And in some instances, God hasn't just stepped on my toes. He's run over me with a bus. It's been that level of you need to wake up and recognize what's going on. We've felt God working on us. But that's not the same as God working through us and changing us. What we feel in here whenever we hear those sermons is only the initial nudge. 
we have to put it into practice. So let me give you a, a practical example. Matthew 5 and 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The word peacemakers there is the Greek word arenopsis. You know how many times it occurs, that Greek word? Because we know we, we've gone through before there are Greek words and we have it interpreted as this and then sometimes it's in this other verse interpreted as something else. That word occurs in the King James Bible one time in the original Greek. One time. This is the only time this word is used and it is a compound word in Greek. This word means in its compound form pacificatory. That is to make peaceable, to create pacification of a situation. And it is made out of the word peace and out of the word poyeho, which means to make with the name of things made to produce, to construct, to form or fashion peace, to be the author of peace, to make ready to prepare peace, to produce, to bear, to shoot forth peace, to acquire, to provide a thing for one's self, peace, to make a thing out of something else, peace, a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Quite literally and very specifically in this one instance, this one use of this word, peacemaker, and they shall be called the children of God. They shall be kaleo, which is to call with a surname. doesn't just mean like I'm calling you my friend or I'm calling you my brother. It means literally to, to put a surname on something to make an heir, to make a part of a family. They shall be called the children of God. Those who, not who keep the peace, but who make the peace. Because it's much more difficult to make peace than it is to keep it. To keep it, it there already has to be some there, falling apart, perhaps. But something that needs to be mended. But to make peace, one must create it where none exists. So how much conflict do you deal with and see on a day-to-day -day basis? And how much peace have you made out of it? Do you know that the component parts used to create peace are conflict plus God can equal peace? There's no part of me in that equation. I have to pull myself out and allow God to work through me to create peace because I am not peace, but he is peace. Romans 16 and 20 says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. And if we step into the role of the accuser, one who highlights faults, failures, habits, hang-ups of somebody else, we're not doing the work of God. We're doing the work of Satan. And so Jesus is the God of peace, and through peace, he will bruise Satan under our feet. That is peace. There is unity in peace. Ephesians 4 and 3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A bond is a surety. 
It's a, if you bond somebody out of jail with money or property, you put that up as a surety that they will come to court. If they don't come to court, your money or your property goes away. And in order to make that initial bond to get them out of jail, you have to have money or land to put up for the bond. You have to make money with the work of your own hands to be able to use it as a bond. And we can only keep the unity. He makes it, we keep it. And we can only keep the unity by putting up the bond of peace. And we can't put up a bond of peace if we haven't made any. We have to make peace to put up as our bond for unity. I'm gonna keep peace and make peace and that's gonna be my bond for making sure all of us are in unity because I want peace to stay here. I don't want it to go away. And so I may disagree with you, but I'm gonna stay in unity because I want there to be peace. So what are you gonna let God make of you? Understand that peace can't be made in the middle of peace. It can only be made in the middle of conflict. And it's not just a mindset or a way of thinking. It is an action. We get a nudge here in this place, but we do the thing out there on our own time. These beatitudes, what are we doing with them? Understand that on my own, I can't do anything with them. And that was the point from the very beginning. We have to recognize that we're poor in spirit. We have nothing to bring to the table. We come to God empty-handed, and he has to do the work in or through me. So am I letting him move me? Am I letting him work? Does my prayer life, my reading of the word, my fasting, my faithfulness to the house of God look the same after I hear a sermon as it did before? If so, then I may not be changed all that much if I'm still doing the same input and expecting a different output. So either I was already doing everything I could possibly do for God, not likely, or I'm expecting God to just tap me on the head with a magic wand and presto, I'm different. It doesn't work like that. If I want a different outcome, and if I know there is a different outcome to be had because I've heard a sermon and I realize what was in that sermon is not what I am doing now, then the input that I'm putting into my life right now needs to change to get that different output because he's still working on me. That's why I hear a sermon and I realize oh, that, that's not what I'm doing. That, that's different than my actions or my thought processes or how I feel right now. That thing that God is saying that I should be doing, I'm not doing. I hear that and I recognize that because he's still working on me. And he's pricking my conscience and he's nudging my mind that, hey, there's something else. There's something more that you could be doing. But in order to get there, I've got to put in something else or let something else go so that he can fill that space with more of him. There's more required to me than just listening, nodding, and maybe praying a little bit in the altar after service. No matter my age or relationship with God, he's still growing in me. He's still changing me. 
brother, brother Kenneth Smith used to, he used to lead our, our songs whenever we would do our hymns. That was his job. And then he got to the point where he said, I, I don't need to be the one doing this anymore. And then he handed that job off to me. Like, well, I, I can't do it. You've, you've done it forever. I, I can't do it. Now I'm doing it. But that doesn't mean that God's through with Brother Kenneth. God's just moved him from one position to another. But God's still working on him. God's still growing him. Maybe God's gonna, going to use him in some other fashion. We still need strong men of God to pray with our young men when they come up at the altar. They need examples to know this is what I aspire to. Brother Scott Crowther has become my, my go-to for whenever I'm in the middle of something and I need somebody that, that I, can, I can just text them and say, hey, I need you to pray about this. He, God has just put my spirit and his spirit together. And anytime I need him, I can text him and say, hey, would you pray about this? And he's going to pray right there. But that doesn't mean that's the only thing God's ever going to do with you. Maybe God's going to use you in intercessory prayer one day. I don't know. What about any of the rest of you? What does God want to do in you that he's not doing in you right now, but that he has desire to do? And how are you going to let him work through you? Not just on you, not just in you, but what are you going to do to allow God to create a different outcome from the inputs that you're getting? That is the thing that God wants all of us to consider today because he's still working on you. Whether you're 15 years old or whether you're 115 years old, there's never a point where God stops and says, okay, you're done. He's still working if you would stand with me this morning we are coming up to our Christmas time we're all going to be meeting with families and friends maybe some that we've not seen for a while and understand that these beatitudes that God has been placing into all of our, our spirits in here in the first service there's a reason that God has been putting all this into us at this point in time right now. Because now we're coming in contact with our family that some of them that we haven't seen in months, in a year, some of them in several years. And what does God need to do in them that he needs to use us as the catalyst to prick their conscience or to plant a seed in their heart how can God use me and still be working on me and working through me to get to my family? If you've not heard all of the Beatitudes sermons, then go back on Facebook, go back on the podcast. If podcasts are your, are your thing, they're in the Apple podcast, the Google podcast. Anywhere that you get your podcast, you can search Bentley United Pentecostal Church and you can find our sermon series and those and the, the podcast are just the sermons without without the music but I encourage you if you've missed any of them or if you just want to go back and review because you realize I've heard all these things and it's still not coming out in who I am I need to go back and listen to it again 
We have the Bible. We don't read through the Bible one time and then we're done with it for the rest of our lives. It's a daily thing. We go back and read it again. And sometimes we may have read a verse hundreds of times in our life. And then all of a sudden we get something that we've never really considered before. And God speaks to our hearts. This Christmas season, if you give no other gifts to your family, give the gift of somebody that's allowing God to work through you into them. Let that be the gift to your family, that you're going to be whatever God needs you to be so that he can touch their hearts. That's how he's still working on us because he loves them just as much as he loves you and me. Just as much as he's forgiven me and you, he wants to forgive them and wants us to forgive them. God needs people who say, I can be used so that you can touch somebody's soul and you can save a soul from the brink of hell. Use me. Even if it's uncomfortable, use me. This morning, we're just going to pray. I've gone long and I apologize. But if you would, bow your heads with me and let's pray in submission to God. God, we come before you as a body and we recognize that we are not perfect. God, I am not perfect. I have to repent so many times because you're still working on my attitude and you're still working on my thoughts and you're still working on my heart. And all of us need you to work not just on us, but through us. And we submit to you today and we ask that you would work through us to accomplish whatever the work is that you desire to do with our lives, whether it's to grow us and draw us closer to you or whether it's to touch someone that's near us at work or in our families or all of the above and help us to have the strength to allow you to prompt us to pray more, to read your word more, to fast more, to do whatever it takes to allow the work you want to do to be accomplished in us so that you can perfect that in us which concerns you. And forever we will give you the praise and you the honor and you the glory for what you make of us. In Jesus' precious and holy name, Everybody said amen.